we as Christians have a promise over and over in Scripture that we're, we're able to live in a victory through Jesus. But then when you look at the church as a whole, there's a, lot of dis, there's a lot of defeat, and there's a lot of places where the enemy's winning. And so especially this time of year, I think it's important that we talk about victory and talk about what victory is. Uh, so what is victory for a believer? Think about that just for a second. What does victory look like for a believer? There's a lot of people on a lot of different networks and a lot of different social media platforms that talk about how victory comes in some kind of worldly standard. It could be the career that we've always wanted. It could be the children and the success that they have. It could be the comfort level that we experience in this life. It could be the possessions that are around us. It could be the friends that we have or the people's names we can drop. All these things are worldly standards of victory. And not that those things are bad in themselves, but to a believer, then we're not really supposed to conform to this world, and we're supposed to be transformed through Christ. And so to fill in that blank, you can put in whatever you want. But, but a lot of people boil it down to this, this prosperity and, and good health, a good bill of health. That's what victory looks like. And I'm going to be the first to tell you when I was starting to prep this, I'm like, man, I want people not to hear that because that is not at all what victory is. There are so many believers and saints that I've met that, that are in absolute poor health but do amazing work for the kingdom. When I've been in the Philippines, some of the people that have the most gracious hearts and would give you anything and everything that you would ever need have absolutely poor health. So, so to think that you can boil down victory just to, to some outward thing I think is not really biblical and it's not really what it's about. Um, and I think the reason why that is is because in our sh- our strength, we can only accomplish so much. But when our strength is failing, when we've reached the point where we're in our weakness, 2 Corinthians reminds us that that's when God's power is made perfect. That's when, when his abundance overflows. He, he comes in and fills in the gap between our ability and then overflows and does exactly what he wants to do through our weakness. And so for me, this idea of victory is a little harder to nail down. So I was studying over the week trying to figure out where kind of we can tie in this and, and what particularly victory looks like. And I came up with a passage that gives us an idea. And then I came up with a story in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. Um, And I haven't done a whole lot of study. I mean, we've read through it in various fashions, but I haven't really sat down and worked through the the events that we're going to look at in Joshua 6, 7, and 8 in just a minute. Um, But there's so much to be learned about victory and about defeat and about coming back to victory after defeat. So that's what we're going to spend some time on here in the next few minutes today. Um, But first, we need to figure out what victory looks like for a believer. So we're going to turn to Matthew 22. Um, and you're going to see me turning today because our screen's broken in the back. So we're going old school to the point I actually have to hold the Bible and look at it. It's going to be great. I'm digging it. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. And it's going to be behind you, so you'll be able to see it. But it would be weird if I kept turning around to read. So verse 36 is where we're going to be in. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is Jesus responding, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and all the prophets. Jesus was being tested right here by the religious people, by those that should have known better. His response was perfectly logical. It couldn't be argued. It couldn't be defeated. Anytime Jesus answered like this, it was one of those where they just kind of had to sit there in silence and take in what he had to say. This is what a victorious life looks like. According to God, it's two pieces. And there's a couplet we're going to put up here. It says, love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Y'all have heard that before, right? It's part of our mission thing here, as a matter of fact. And that was not by design. That's just how that kind of came up. That when we love God with all we got, everything that's inside of us, everything that's outside of us, when we love God with all we have, 
that we're, we're being victorious in that life because we're giving him the glory for it. We haven't put some thing, some idol above that. And then also when we love your neighbor as yourself, you're serving, serving others like you're supposed to. And that's what victory looks like. Victory isn't a, a set of things. Victory isn't a place where you arrive. Victory is living a life that's surrendered to God and loving on other people. And, and so Matthew 22 kind of gives us our, our start for that. This is where victory comes from. And we put those two things into life consistently. We're going to see victory in our communities. We'll see victory in our homes. We'll see victory in our church. We'll see victory all over the place. And that's what we want to get into. I think a lot of times, though, we, we try to hustle that victory into existence. Would you all agree with that? That we try to say, well, I'm going to work hard enough, or I'm going to do this conference, or we're going to do this program, or we're going to do this thing. I've gone to conferences after conferences that have always said, well, you've got to do this, and then this, and then this, and this is when God will bring victory. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's it. I don't think we can force God's hand by our hustle. Um, instead, we just have to be faithful to him and to his calling in our lives and to love on other people. C.S. Lewis said it this way, and I do have to turn around for this one, sorry. It is not your business to succeed, no one can be sure of that, but to do right. When you have done so, the rest lies with God. Great wisdom in that passage, in that verse, verse, <laughs> that quote, sorry. Great wisdom in that quote. It just kind of reminds us that, that we have a call to do what we need to do, do our best at it and do what is right, and then let God take care of that victory, take care of the results of that. So if you guys are anything like me, you've seen victories in your life. It could be victories at home. It could be victories in work. It could be victories in school. It could be victories on the field. But then for some reason in my life, and I'm not going to speak to yours, but in my life, what I often see after that victory is that very next step is a fall or a stumble at least, even if I don't fall. Today we're going to look at the nation of Israel under Joshua's leadership and see how a victory occurred in their life, even after a really pretty rotten defeat. So we're going to start in Joshua 6. I'm going to give you time to change and flip over there. Here are all the pages flopping around. Mine will too. So Joshua 6 is where we'll begin. We're going to be hanging out in 6, 7, and 8, so it all should be pretty close from here on out. Before we get to the fall part, um, let's look at the major victory for the nation of Israel, right? The first major city that Israel came across after crossing over the Jordan was the city of Jericho. Now, we've all heard the songs. I'm sure it just kind of popped in your head when we said Jericho right there about the, the walls falling and all that good stuff. And Jericho was a very intimidating city. The Israelites were rightfully scared when they came up to it because it had a major fortified wall. Like the defenses were in place. Scripture tells us they had a strong military, had mighty men of valor is actually what it says. And, and the, the Israelites, I'm sure, were formulating a battle plan. They're trying to figure out, how in the world are we going to overcome this? I mean, we're, we're a nomadic people, and all of a sudden we have this massive wall that we've got to overcome. So we're going to look in Joshua 6, chapter, uh, verse 2, is where we're going to begin. And we're going to see God's game plan for this, because God had a plan to it. God always does. And we're going to see how it ties in. Excellent. Chapter 6, verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So as Israel was coming up on the plain, they saw Jericho, their walls were huge, the men of valor were on the side, they were figuring out their plans, and when Joshua went to God to say, how do you want us to handle this, this is God's response. Let's look for just a second at God's battle plan to capture Jericho. On the first six days, I want you guys to walk around the city in full force. I want you to, to, to have the priests out, have the Ark of the Covenant, and then have all the mighty men behind that. I want you to be able to show our entire strength of force to the people of this city. But don't say anything. 
The only sound I want coming out of this whole group of people is just the ram's horns. Now, let me give you a little, a little historic piece here. I played trumpet when I was in school. played trumpet for eight some odd years. Trumpets are a great instrument. No one can agree with that. Um, trumpets are not what a ram's horn is. How many of you have actually heard a true ram horn blown? It's awesome sound, incredibly powerful sound, but the reality is it's a natural occurring horn. And so it's not going to be tuned to a certain note. So if you have seven people playing seven things, it's not going to be a beautiful chord that you would think for this epic soundtrack of conquering sounds. It sounded more like a, like a traffic jam than anything, to be totally honest. And, and so what was going on was they were, they were walking around the city, and they kept hearing these bleats of horns over and over again. And I don't know what the people in Jericho thought at this point. But Joshua was faithful to what God had called them to do, and that's what they continued doing. And on the final day, this was God's plan. On that last day, the seventh day, I want you to walk around seven different times. And when you finish that last lap, blow those trumpets again, and that is the moment that I want everyone to yell at the top of their lungs. I mean, like cheering for your favorite football team, kind of cheering. And so that was the plan. And as I read through that this week, and I was shopping for stuff that we kept forgetting for Thanksgiving, it sounded more like Kroger's parking lot than a battle plan to me. Like people shouting and horns, and just, it was, it was crazy. But, as we read in Scripture, on the seventh day, on the seventh lap, the people yelled, and the wall fell, just like God said it was going to. Israel took the city, just as God had promised. And it happened on God's terms, not on Israel's terms. They would have figured out some other way to siege the city, to make them, to... to starve them out or do some other thing to attack. But God said, no, I'm going to handle it to you. Just be patient and do it the way I asked you to. So we moved to Joshua 6, 20. And this is what happened on that seventh day, on the seventh time around. So the people shouted. The trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. If you think about that battle plan to an earthly general, someone with like military training and military history, that sounded crazy, right? We're going to walk around and we're going to scream really loud and these fortified walls are just going to crumble. It would never work. But history tells us is exactly what happened. The victory had to come on God's terms, not on Israel's. And that brings me to my first takeaway for the week, for the day. We've got three. Sometimes we don't see the victory because we're expecting it to come on our own terms. Sometimes we don't see the victory because we're expecting it to come on our own terms. If you're in the business world, you want that promotion, and you work yourself into exhaustion to to prove that you're capable of doing that, that you're the man or the woman for the job, only to be passed over. That wasn't the victory that God had for you. But in the moment, we don't see that. We see that as a defeat. We see that as a fall. We can't force God's hands with our efforts. Sometimes we don't see the victory in our lives as quickly as we want it to. We ask God, why weren't you there? Why didn't you do something? The reality is that his victory was, was assured all along, but it just wasn't on the timetable that we thought it was going to be on. Sometimes we aren't happy with the sacrifices that we're asked to make in order to reach that victory. Sometimes whatever it is that we're holding on to, whether it's sin or, or some other idol that we've placed in our life, that that thing is more important to us than the victory that God has promised us. And so we're unwilling to give that up. To see victory in our lives, guys, we need to look to God, look to his ways, That's the only way that the walls of Jericho ever fell. The Israelites would have been there for months and years trying to take those walls out by themselves. It had to be done on God's time and in God's way. So coming off this great victory, the next city before Israel was a small town called Ai. And it's spelled A-I. 
You'll see it in a second. And for the entire week, I've been saying I in my head because my southern translation, but that's not what the language says. It's a. This was a small town. So Joshua sent some spies out to check it out, and the spies came back with just a glowing report. They're like, this place is going to be so easy to take. They don't have a great wall. Their military is so-so. You know what, Joshua? We can just send a few of our guys up. We don't have to send the whole force. It's going to be an easy deal. Let's look at Joshua 7. Turn over to the, with me. We're going to start in chapter 7, verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. We'll get back to that in just a second. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the man went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do, Don't even have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. That means retreated. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gates as far as Shebram and stuck them, struck them at the, desert, the descent. Sorry, And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So Joshua sent a force that was on the, the bigger end of the scale that they thought they needed to take this out. They were going to assure this victory through their might, right? They were going to take care of this battle. But in verse 4, we saw that the assured victory was taken away from them. This weak city of Ai turned back the Israelites, and as they were fled from the battlefield, they actually killed 36 of the Israelites in the process. Scripture tells us that the people's hearts melted and became as water. Joshua was confused. The entire nation was, was just absolutely crushed because of this great victory over Jericho that we just experienced. And then we step into this little bitty city that should be an easy battle, an easy win. And we got trampled. 36 of our people died because of this. How do they go from this massive victory to this easy fall? And God clarified for them in chapter 7, verse 10. God gives them a reason why. And we already heard it, but we're going to remember it. And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. And then 13 says, Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. When the nation had cleared out Jericho, God gave very specific direction to the nation to not take anything for themselves. There were things they were supposed to take to bring to God's house, um, from the people that were there, but all the, the loot and the plunder and all that kind of stuff that you would typically think of when you capture something, they were not to mess with. It was to be left alone. But an Israelite named Achan, which we read about in chapter 7, verse 1, he broke this command. Achan saw some things in the ruins of Jericho that he just thought he needed. He had to have them. And I know God said we shouldn't take these things, but you know what, God, these, these are they're small things. It's not going to be a big deal. He ended up taking a cloak, some silver, and some gold. And, you know, if you read the story in, in a little bit further in chapter 7 of what Achan did and what he took, Achan knew he was wrong in the first place because if, if there was no problem taking it, he would have worn it or he would have shown off his wealth. He would have said, look what I got. Instead, Scripture tells us Achan buried it in a hole under his tent. So he knew right away he was in the wrong. He knew that he had trans, his trespassed God's command on that. Achan's disobedience that we just read caused the defeat at A. 
and the consequences of his sin led to the death of 36 Israelites. And ultimately, if you keep reading in chapter 7, the consequences of A's sin led to the, to the death of his family. Verse 26, chapter 7, tells us that after the sin problem was dealt with, the nation took care of it, that the Lord turned from his anger. And that's such a beautiful statement, the fact that God turned from his anger towards the people. This was a warming of his heart, him going back to work for his people on his behalf. So the second takeaway for today is this, that repentance is necessary when we don't see victory in our lives. And, and I, with hesitation, put this up there because I know someone's going to take this wrong and say, well, if I'm repenting of things, then I should be seeing victory right away. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Please hear my heart in that. Just what happened in Scripture was that there was sin that was found out, they repented from it, and then they were in a place where God could bring them into victory again. It's not like a two plus two equals kind of thing. It means that when there's sin in our lives, whether it's stuff that we are aware of or stuff that we're totally ashamed of or stuff that we might not realize that we're stepping outside of what God wants us to do, whatever it is, when that sin is there, that sin is going to keep us from being able to experience the victory that God has for us. So the only way to get rid of that is this word called repentance. Don't use it so much anymore these days. But repentance is the acknowledgement and the turning from sinful behavior. On this side of the cross, for you and I, repentance leads to forgiveness. It's a beautiful thing because Christ died on our behalf to take our sin, our punishment, and offer us forgiveness. Achan was on the other side of the cross still, and so he had to pay the price for his disobedience. And we find that in Joshua 7. Guys, oftentimes in life, we downplay the, the polluting effect that sin has in our lives. We, oh, everybody sins, nobody's perfect. Right? We've heard those statements before. And the reality is that that is true. But sin has such a, a trickle-down effect on life. We fail because we didn't work hard enough or because someone else worked harder. When in reality, we fail because we're still holding on to that sin. That we said that this job is more important than provision God can offer. Or I need this position. Or I need this thing. Or I want this notoriety. Or I want this accolade. Those sins keep us from living in the victory that God has in store for us. The consequences of sin can ruin careers. It can ruin families. It can ruin relationships. And this is not on the overhead, but this is like one of my, man, God just really hammered this home. The sin is a victory stealer. Plain and simple. Sin is a victory stealer. It takes it away in all different stages. And if we're stuck in a cycle of defeat in our lives, guys, we need to prayerfully examine our heart and our motives and figure out if we're holding on to something that's keeping us from being able to experience the victory that God has called us to. If we're harboring sin in our lives, we have no business expecting God to bring us victory. I don't know about other parents in the room, especially this time of year, it's great to, just because you can always talk about the got to be good for Christmas thing. But the reality is, how many of you parents in the room would reward your children for disobedience? Good, I didn't hope I had no hands coming up on that one. You guys made me happy on that one. Um, if I walked in, I told one of my children, I was like, you know what, you really need to clean your room because there's like stuff hanging everywhere. The bed's like in shambles. I don't even know if there's a bed under all that stuff. And there's this weird smell that's coming out of the room right now. Like you really should do something about that. And then I come home like an hour later and there's still the smell. Everything's still, as a matter of fact, it's like clothes have drifted out into the hallway now. I'm not gonna say, you know what, you beautiful child, you deserve an iPhone. Let's go get you one right now. No, that's just crazy. I'm not going to reward that bad behavior with good gifts. And so in the same mindset, why is it that we, we expect God to give us victory when we're still holding on to the sin that, that he hates so much? So that repentance piece, when we repent of our sins, we've opened the door for God to bring victory into our lives at that point. So back to the story of Joshua. Joshua and the nation have discovered the sin that's in their midst, and they've dealt with it. 
But the people are still cowered down. Scripture tells us their hearts were like water. I mean, they're just completely broken, completely demoralized. So let's see how God reacts to the repentance of his people. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 8 now, starting in verse 1. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear, I love that, and do not be dismayed. Take all of the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given them into your hand, the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. God immediately got back to work the task of giving Israel the promised land. Achan's sin had been dealt with, repentance was made, and it was time to get back to work. God gives Joshua the plan, and what's more important than the plan necessarily is the promise that comes with the plan. Like God, God is going to explain a really sneaky way for them to, to outfox the, the city and their forces, but the really amazing part is that promise that we just read. I have given into your hand the king of A and his people, and you shall do to A and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. God's saying, I'm back in the battle with you. You're not going to lose this one because you've repented. You, you've, you've put those things away, and you're back in, 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 in my heart. And so this battle is, is mine now, and it's going to be different than the last time you tried to do it yourself. Joshua follows the plan that God gave him. It was pretty stinking sneaky. If you want to read it, it's really cool. And the city fell just as God had promised it would. The people again saw a great victory given to Israel through God's provision. Let's jump forward into chapter 8, and let's see how the people responded. And guys, I'm going to be honest. Most of the time when I've read this story, I kind of skip over these parts because these aren't like battle scenes or anything cool like that. But I'm telling you, there's so much power in what we're about to read. It's Joshua 8, starting in verse 30. And it's a long chunk, so it's going to be a couple different slides. But it's worth it, I promise. Joshua 8, starting in verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord half of them in the front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in the Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first two. Bless the people of Israel. Sorry. <coughs> this is the part I like in verse 34. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curse according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. So to celebrate this victorious battle, Joshua instructed the people to build an altar, just like Moses had told them to. And they were going to offer sacrifices on this altar to remember God's provision and their victory. And then Joshua assembled all the people together, had the entire book of the law read before the people. It reminded them of God's promises towards them, the good things. It reminded them of the curses that came with disobedience, the bad things. Scripture tells us that Joshua himself didn't miss a word. Everyone heard the law. Every single bit of it. The men, the women, the children, the livestock, even the visitors that were in the community at the same time. They heard the law of the Lord. And, and, and this is where it gets important. This is why it's important that we, we see Joshua 
responding this way. I mean, it would have been great to say, oh, we won, very victorious, let's have a party, and we'll go on and take the next city, right? Because that's what we want to do. But Joshua took time to stop. He said, no, no, we need to re- remember what God is about and, and, and what we do and how we make sure that he's fighting our battles for us and not us losing in our own strength. Joshua realized the cost of disobedience. We just saw it, right? It was 36 lives in the nation of Israel. And then ultimately the family of Achan as well were all lost because of disobedience. Joshua realized that a hidden sin of one man can have such a price. He wanted to remind the people the importance of God's law and what that cost of disobedience looked like. And so that's why they went through the law together so that everyone would be reminded of what God expects. Israel still had a very long path ahead of them as they fought to capture the promised land. They had other cities to conquer, other people to overcome. If you read forward in the Old Testament, it was an ongoing battle for a long period of time. It was, it was conquered and, and then won and then conquered again and put in captivity and just thing after thing after thing. But Joshua knew that if God wasn't fighting each battle for them, that they were going to lose. And so the reason he took the time to stop after this great victory after this great comeback and say, you know what? We're going to focus on what God has done for us, and we're going to be thankful for what God has done for us. We often need that same reminder in our own lives, guys. And that leads me to our last takeaway for the day. This is the third. This is to see a victory even after defeat. We must do God's work God's way. Now, we all have talents, and we have gifts that are given to us by God, our Creator, right? He, he crafts us in such a way that we all have things we're really good at, um, And those things can help us in business. Those things can help us in life. Those things can help us in our family, in school, for students. They help us to function well. They help us succeed in various situations. We can accomplish a lot in our own power, right? Hopefully, yes, yes. If we ever get to the point where we're overconfident of ourselves and and think for just even a second that our competency is enough to take the place of God's presence in our lives, then we're setting ourselves up for failure. If we say, I, I'm, I'm capable enough, I'm competent enough, I, I'm a great salesperson, and I make some really great sales numbers this last quarter. And God, you know what? I appreciate all you do, but I've got this quarter. Guess what that quarter is going to look like? It's going to be a, a mess. Because if we ever think that we don't need God's provision and his presence in our battles, and our, we're never going to see those victories. Victory comes only with God's provision and his blessing in our lives. When I worked at the bank, I worked for SunTrust for almost four years. I went from a FSR, financial service rep, to an assistant branch manager, to a branch manager. And, man, I, I loved it. I loved working with people, and that was kind of my strong suit. There were some things that went on in the bank, and I was like, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to do exactly what I need to do, and I'm going to be, be successful. And I like wearing suits, which I don't anymore, by the way. Um, <laughs> which I don't do it anymore. Um, and I got to a point where God said, you know what, Eric, you're doing great. And that's fantastic, and you're going to be able to serve a lot of people and help a lot of people, but you're doing it for yourself and not for me. And so there were some setbacks in my career. I'm like, oh, man, what in the world, you know? And for me, those defeats, I'm like, well, what did I do wrong? When the reality was I had taken God out and said, God, I've got this. You sit over on the side and just watch what I'm going to do. You know, have you ever been there? Had those moments where you said, God, just watch this. And the reality is I, he was like, really? That's how you wanted to go about this? I'm thankful for those setbacks because they ultimately allowed me to go into full-time ministry. So God, like I said, brought some victory in that after the defeat that I felt like was because of my own fault. When we operate under our own power, guys, we're in dangerous territory. We can see some small wins, small victories here and there, but the self-dependence is like aching sin. It's just waiting under our tent, waiting just to absolutely ruin what it is that God's wanting to do in our lives. So we have to do God's work God's way to live in the victory that he has promised us.
You might be in a season right now that feels more like A instead of Jericho. A the first time. You might be in a season where, where you're like, God, man, why am I, God, why are you still doing this in my life? Or why am I still suffering because of this? Or, God, I really felt like we should have been past this by now. I challenge you guys to look back on the story of Joshua 6, 7, and 8 and see what it looks like to, to have an amazing victory in your life than to face a defeat that makes no sense at all, but then allow God to bring that back into a victory again. And, and it happens because of the three things we talked about. The first, we have to stop expecting the victory to come in a fashion that we want it to. We have to trust that God's knowledge of what is to come and God's plan for our life is better than what we think we know we want. Trust that God's plan is better. The second is to make sure that we have repented of any sin in our lives, small or large, doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter if it's something that we, we are okay sharing. It's just, it's got to be repented of. It's got to be turned from. It's got to be made aware. It's got to be brought to light. And when that happens, we've opened the door for God to allow us to come into victory again too, instead of holding on to that thing like it's more important. And then finally, the third point we talked about is Josh reminds us that we have to get to work doing God's work his way. That's when we can see victory in our lives. The victory we talked about again was, was the idea of loving God with all we have and then loving others as ourselves. When we can pull that off, God will be glorified through that. We'll see our, home, our homes change, our lives change, our schools change, our teams change. I haven't shared anything today that's like groundbreaking or, or some kind of hidden special knowledge. Um, this was just stuff that, that through a really cool story in, in the Old Testament, uh, some amazing history, um, but seeing God work in the lives of his people. That, that he was able to just to show me some truths this past week and, and help me understand that sometimes when I, I have that stumble in life, it's not because he doesn't want good things for me, but that stumble is because I want something he doesn't want for me. Or else I have that stumble because I'm unwilling to surrender something. Or else I have that stumble because I'm too prideful for some reason. And in those places, I just need to trust that, that in repentance and humility, to come back to a guy that loves me very much, he's going to show victory and bring that defeat into an amazing victory in his time and in his way. If we really want to see victory in our homes, victory in our jobs, victory for the kingdom, guys, we have to rely on God, who is the source of that victory. We're going to have a time of invitation now in just a second. We're not going to do kind of like our normal come forward if you want to talk kind of thing. I just want you guys to stay where you're at. That's your, that's your job is to stay where you're at. I want you to kind of deal with what God's doing in, in your heart right now, and the Holy Spirit hopefully has been working on you some. Hopefully these words have, have kind of opened your eyes to some stuff. I know as I work through it this week, there's places I could look back on my own life and my own story and say, man, I, I, was, I was absolutely being an Aiken right there. or I was, I was chasing the wrong things and not having really what God had in store for my heart. And then coming out of that season and saying, man, that victory was awesome. God, that's all for you. So right now in the time that we're going to have the, the have a little bit of worship here. I want you guys just to, to be able to focus on what God is working on right now in your heart. Um, whether you're on the, the downswing of a victory, if you're about to see a victory, just be open to what God's showing you right now. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for an opportunity just to spend time in your word. God, I thank you just for this story in Joshua, just about what it means to have victory. Victory isn't about health and wealth and all the other things that people say it is. Victory is about loving you and living a life that's surrendered to you. And so, God, I just pray right now that, that as we spend some time in, your, in worship as a, as a group, Father God, that we're able to see what the Holy Spirit's doing in our hearts. God, if there's some sin that's inside of us right now that we're holding on to, that we just absolutely love, that, God, you pull that away from us and understand that that love and that desire for that sin, God, is nothing compared to the victory and the blessings that you have in store for us because you love us because you're a father that takes care of his home. 
So, Father, I pray right now that you work in this time. Open our eyes to what's going on in our hearts. Open our eyes to what's going on in our world. And, God, may you be in the midst of everything that we do. It's in Christ's name. Amen.